0: If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Mark 5. As I mentioned last week, we're just making our way straight through uh, the book of Mark. And in Mark 5, you run into a relatively extended story that runs over several paragraphs. And last week, uh, we looked at the opening and the largest of those three paragraphs, verses 1 to 13. Uh, So if you weren't here last week, you've missed part of the story, and as we go along, we'll try to review it a little bit to catch up to to where we are and what's going on in uh, verses 14 to 17, uh, where Jesus is found... Uh, to be fairly objectionable to the majority of the people who witness his miracle here. Understand why that is and how that works. And the reaction of the world generally down through the ages to Jesus is certainly mirrored here in this text, as well as what we've been singing about, the saving reaction to Jesus that also runs down through the centuries, through the ages. So with that said, let's stand together. Mark 5 verses 14 through 17. And the herdsmen fled And told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, the psalmist says that he's well aware as we should be aware that unless you, O Lord, were the one who was for us, let us be among those who say, unless you, O Lord, were among those who are for us, When men rise up against us. Then long ago, living, they would have swallowed us down. When their anger was kindled against us. Then long ago, the waters would have swept over the top of us. The torrents would have passed over our souls. And then the waters raging would have passed over our souls. Lord, your people in the world have always been a small percentage of the people in the world. In the days we read of this morning in Mark 5, almost an unbelievably small percentage. But in most countries of the world... Still, a tiny percentage, and often in and under government regimes and cultural perspectives that are violently opposed to the message of Jesus. And so the psalmist is certainly right, except, O Lord, It was you who were for us. We would have been long ago swept away. But we are still here. And you have people who are still present in nations all around the world. And we lift them up this day. Pray for the sustaining power of your church that we might, as Pastor Dan mentioned, find ourselves becoming disciples. Father, you are blessed in that you have not given us to be prey, as the psalmist says, to the teeth of our enemies. Our soul, rather like a bird in flight, has escaped from the snare of those trapping us. And Father, when we think of all of the cultural traps opposed to the gospel in the Western world, it's staggering, especially in our modern age with the technological reach into everyone's life that is simply beyond any previous generation's imagination. That merchants would know basically everything you've purchased in the last year. That someone could tell you where you've been almost every step of the way if you've had your phone with you. And vast forces messaging through these same means of technology, oh Lord, if it were not for you, We would have been swallowed long ago. But for some, the snares of this world are broken. And people are allowed to escape. They're drawn to you. They come to life. And we pray for those here who have done that. And for those here who may not yet have done that, but who are considering the gospel even this day and asking about their own relationship with you. So, Lord, you are our hope. We hope in your great name. And as powerful as technological forces are, as powerful as the forces of wickedness are, Nothing compares to your power, who are the maker of heaven and earth. Lord, we pray that you'd come and speak to us in, through, and about your Son, Jesus Christ, this day. And we ask for it in his name. Amen. I've mentioned before one of my 20th century theological heroes was a guy by the name of Carl Henry. Uh, Most of you will never have heard of him and you never will hear of him though just a short time ago he was tremendously prominent really. He came on the stage with a couple of names that you might be a little bit more familiar with. Uh, Carl Henry well he was forming uh, Christianity Today magazine, which is the first real thing he sort of did of note in his career. Um, started out as a newspaper man in New York City. came to faith as a young newspaper reporter at the age of 19, and quickly after that somebody urged him to go to college, and so he did. He went off to Wheaton College in suburban Chicago, where He met a philosopher named Gordon Clark, who urged him to seek advanced theological philosophical studies, which he also did, but eventually went on uh, to form Christianity Today magazine about the same time that a guy named Bill Bright uh, formed an organization called Campus Crusade for Christ, which was also about the same time that a guy we're a little bit more familiar with named Billy Graham. Um... Started the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, uh, and they were friends. There's a handful of of friends back in those days. Well, Carl Henry, after 44 years after he became a Christian, had been traveling the world, working in this seminary and that, and eventually, by the time he was in his early 60s, he was representing World Vision around the world as a teacher and as a writer. And at the age of uh, 63, he released the first in what would be a six-volume set of theological works. Uh, And in that opening volume, he said this about the good news, volume one of God, Revelation, and Authority. He said, to proclaim the good news to the end of the earth, Is our goal. So that preaching and discipling constitute the church's primary responsibility in the world. Hence our little blurb every week we're making disciples. Well, that's because preaching and discipling are, I think he's right in this, the main, the primary responsibility of the church in the world. Christians have a mandated responsibility. For verbal proclamation and rational persuasion. The Christian task is to exhibit the newsworthiness of the Christian message. The gospel is news, big news, true news, good news. The gospel is good news. But will everyone hear the gospel as good news? That's at the heart of our story for this morning. Last week I mentioned the uh, previous Sunday evening had hosted the Grammy Awards. And uh, 40 years ago uh, this year, uh, the winner of the Grammy Award for female country singers, I'm going to age myself and several of you at the same time, because you will recognize her, and, and and others will not. Canadian. I always thought of her of a folk singer, but she won for um, country. Uh, Ann Murray from Canada. Anne Murray, uh, and one of the songs she won for in 1983 uh, began with these lines: "I wrote. I rolled out this morning. The kids had the nor- morning news shows on." Brian Gumble was talking about the fighting in Lebanon. Some senator was squawking about the bad economy. It's going to get worse, you see. We need a change in policy. There's a local paper rolled up in a rubber band. One more sad story is one more than I can stand. Just once, how I'd like to see the headlines say, not much to print today. Can't find nothing bad to say. That nobody robbed a liquor store on the lower side of town. Nobody owed Deed, nobody burned a single building down. Nobody fired a shot in anger, and nobody had to die in vain. We sure could use a little good news today. Now, here's the question. Would Anne Murray recognize the news of the gospel as good news? I don't know much about her. Would Anne Murray recognize the news of the gospel as good news? Would she find a confrontation with Jesus to be good news? Not everybody does. Because that's the heart of our paragraph this morning. Jesus does this great miracle, and the news is spread to the town and to the surrounding regions, the surrounding fields. And a whole bunch of people come out to see Jesus, and they meet him there. And they see this transformed guy sitting, visiting with Jesus on the one hand. But they also see 2,000 dead hogs floating in the shallow waters along the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And the herdsmen telling the story assure everybody that Jesus is tightly connected to both of those things. He's tightly connected to the guy sitting there, sane and clothed, and he's tightly connected to the 2000 dead hogs floating in the sea of Galilee so is this a moment of good news mixed news bad news that's that's the that's the question at the heart of our text for this morning i'll state our thesis for this morning, which is that it's definitely good news. Jesus is the best of news with those who have eyes to see. Jesus is the best of news with those who have eyes to see. Uh, John asked you to listen really, really carefully uh, as that text from John 6 was read and if you are listening carefully uh, you'll notice that this, this business of eyes to see is really prominent in the New Testament, not under that metaphor, but it showed up in that text, right? Where it says, John six forty four, No one can come to me. No one comes to me. Unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one comes. Unless The Father who sent me draws him. So Jesus is the best of news with those who have eyes to see. We'll look at this from three angles this morning as we make our way toward the Lord's table. Number one, the news about Jesus spreads. Verse 14. And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that it happened. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was. Now the it is the story of verses 1 to 13. That is, It's a story about this man who had been widely known in the community because he was crazy. And he had been running around naked for a long time. That's all we're told, a long time in Luke's parallel. Don't know how long, but for a long time. And he was a bit of a problem in the community and now, this hopeless guy, this absolutely hopeless guy, is sitting there calmly next to Jesus. And it also includes the hogs, the 2,000 dead hogs uh, floating there in the, uh, in the Sea of Galilee. And, and these herdsmen are going out, and they're talking about that. They're talking about that talk about it in town, they're talking about it in the countryside, they're talking about it to anybody who will listen, and they are apparently recommending, you should come out and see this thing that has happened. So they're they're spreading the news about Jesus. Uh, Come and see what happened. Come and see this thing. Now, the news about Jesus has been spreading for a long time. In fact, the news about Jesus was in the news this week. Again, because of last Sunday night. Last Sunday night Super Bowl, there were two ads run, two Jesus-related ads run under this little campaign title, He Gets Us. He Gets Us. Um... Well, it is a spendy thing to buy ad time during the Super Bowl, and so all of a sudden, you know, our 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 cultural uh uh news folks knows, whoa, whoa, who is this spending that kind of money on ads in the Super Bowl? And so they, they looked it up and they find this conglomeration of Christian business people and they find that they have, as they announced early in the week, they've put together, they've got like a hundred million dollars that they're using on this campaign. A hundred million dollars. And that was announced as if it's a shocking number. A hundred million dollars working on Jesus' brand. Alarming. That alarmed them. Now, these are the very people whose own point of view is advanced by the tens of billions of dollars every year. Year after year after year after year after year after year after year. After year. So in that sense, it's almost kind of comical. Whoa, what's going on here? Somebody's spending a hundred million dollars to spread the word about Jesus. Shocking. Shocking. Kind of frightening to some of them. Um, well, in other words, not everybody liked it. I think, oh, this is, I don't think you should spend money like that. That's, I don't think Jesus would approve, you know, spending money like that working on Jesus' brand. I think it's kind of a waste. So, a certain congresswoman from New York, that's what she thought, kind of a waste. Of course now remember Judas had the same opinion if you're in Jim's Sunday school class just a couple of weeks ago he talked about the fact that uh, uh, Judas and several others they thought this woman Mary that came and poured expensive perfume on Jesus that was a waste and Jesus disagreed spreading the news about Jesus it's been going on for 2000 years Back from our own congregation, they just—we got a team right now down in Mexico working on that. But Hete uh, just returned this weekend from Mongolia, where, interestingly enough, the roles are sort of reversed here. We we have a group of eight guys our church supports. They run around all the countryside of Mongolia to small towns and to herdsmen out there. So here, the herdsmen are the ones spreading the gospel, and our team runs across herdsmen, spreads the gospel to them, spends some time with them, tries to grow them into churches out in the Mongolian countryside, spreading the kingdom of God. The news about Jesus spreads. It's been spreading all around the world for all these years. Secondly... The news about Jesus causes serious consideration. Um, ESV has it this way, and and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and and they were afraid. I'm going to read the the New American Standard translation because it's a little. It follows more the word order of the Greek text, and the word order of the Greek text this time is kind of significant because it purposely builds this sandwich idea of what you're what they saw when they got there. So the New American Standard translates verse fifteen this way: Mark five fifteen. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed. So there's the mention of who he is on the front end. And what's he doing? He's sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. And now it comes back to him. The very man. The very man who had had the Legion. And they become frightened. Frightened. So here's the demon possessed man, and now he's like this the very man, the very man who had had the demon. And they came, they came to Jesus. Now, everybody knows about this guy, right? We know from the opening chapter, or the opening paragraph in this chapter. This guy has been something of a phenomenon in the area. He has been a menace to the community. Enough that they have run several times, various times actually, so over and over again, they have sent teams out there, subdued the guy, and chained him so that he couldn't be running all over the place, wreaking havoc and causing trouble. But each time... He had broken the chains, smashed the fetters, and he's running around again. So in other words, everybody knows about this guy. He has been a focus of community attention for a long time. For a long time. So they know all about his nakedness, they know all about His strength, they're all about him running around among the tombs. But this time, when they get out there, there he is. He's just sitting, he's sitting down. He's no longer running wildly about. Instead, he's just sitting down. Now he's clothed. Luke 8, 27, it said, for a long time he had worn no clothes. Now he's clothed. Now he's sitting there. He's clothed. And he's in his right mind. Literally, he's calm. So he's sitting, fully clothed, calmly next to Jesus. Jesus. And verse 15 closes with these words, and they became frightened, and they feared. They feared. The reformer, John Calvin. I mentioned how none of you even heard of Carl Henry. It shows you what significant historical person Calvin is. He's still widely quoted 500 years after he wrote almost anything that he wrote, he's considered to be probably the most significant commentator of the Bible in the history of the church. Not the most widely read, but the most, the most significant, still has scholarly value after 500 years. It's really remarkable. Well, one of the reasons is he, he makes comments like this, he makes on this text. Here we have a remarkable proof that not all who recognize God's handiwork profit from it as they ought and submit themselves to him in true devotion. After seeing the miracle, they were afraid, presumably because the majesty of God shone on Christ. And this was good, and this was good, but as we'll see in a moment, most of them want Jesus to get out of there, get out of here, get away from us. So in other words, this, isn't a, this, isn't necess- this is not a saving fear for most of them. This is not the fear of the Lord that's be- the beginning of wisdom sort of fear. This is a different sort. Of fear. But it is, I think Calvin's got it exactly right, it is traced to the majesty of God. They have no explanation for this guy. Like, wow. Who is this Jesus? That that this has happened. And that takes us to our third and final point, which is at the heart, really the heart of this little paragraph. The news about Jesus mainly causes rejection, even though they see this guy sitting there. The news about Jesus mainly causes rejection. You notice in verse 15, the complete focus was on the man. Now in verse 16, the the herdsmen take a wider lens And now they're they're talking about the two pieces of the puzzle. The man and the pigs. The man and the pigs. Verse 16. And those who had seen it, in other words, these herdsmen, described it to them. What had happened to the demon-possessed man and, underline and, and to the pigs. And to the pigs. Now as to the demon-possessed man, I think everybody views that pretty positively. This is an improvement. This is an improvement. No more chains? No more worrying about coming out this way? Thank you, Jesus. This is an improvement. Very, very good. As to the dead hogs, this is not good. This is not good. That's a lot of hogs in that very populated area. 2,000. Somebody just got economically devastated. That's what happened. They got economically devastated. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And to the pigs. So what is this business about the pigs? Well, you know, it gets worse in a sense because, as we mentioned, Jesus, Jesus is from Galilee. Jesus is Jewish. Jews are not into pigs. There's no big herds of hogs on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, because there's absolutely no market for pigs on the west side. It's culturally out. It's out according to the law. Pigs are an unclean animal in uh, the first covenant in ancient Israel. Pigs are out. And so, and, and these people on the east side, they know this. They are Gentiles. The Jews live on the other side. They're not likely massively big on the Jews. And now you have this Jewish teacher visit. And yeah, nice. He heals one crazy man. And he leads to the death of 2,000 hogs. They don't like that. So get out of here. Get out of here. Now be honest. You have to be sympathized with them a little bit, right? We care about economics. This visit was not economically advantageous to the region. This Jewish guy comes over from the other side. Heals one crazy Gentile and leaves 2,000 hogs, not directly, but indirectly, definitely, indirectly, floating in the shallow water of the Sea of Galilee. And they began to beg Jesus to depart their region. Please, 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 please get back in your boat and go back to the other side. Back to the television campaign, he gets us. He gets us. All gospel presentations have the same double-edged nature to them. So, he gets us. That's a, that's a draw line. He gets us. But is that really good news? He gets us. Is it really necessarily great news? Jesus gets you. He knows all you've said. He knows all you've done. And he knows why you've said everything that you've ever said in your life. And he knows why you said it. And he's holy and just. Is that good news? Jesus gets us. Jesus gets us. The New Testament actually doesn't even spend a ton of time on the fact that Jesus gets us. It spends a little time on that. What it spends a little bit more time on, us, on, on is this, a really disturbing idea for, for moderns, especially moderns in the Western, America, uh, Western world, especially for Americans, right? Autonomous Americans. My life, my body, my this, my that, my, 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 my. I decide everything about myself. Thank you very much. Jesus gets us. But then he also tells us. The Apostle Paul, who's... Words we're about to use at the Lord's table. The Apostle Paul wrote this, 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must, that little word must, the Greek text is even smaller, but it's a theologically loaded word, little word day, divine necessity. For we must by divinely determined necessity all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive what was due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil is that good news is that good news well in isolation it certainly isn't but is we remind ourselves all the time it's not written in isolation context is king context is king in the gospel of 2nd Corinthians in the letter to 2nd Corinthians where that takes place all around that statement is the solution to the problem which is namely the atoning work of Jesus Christ Jesus gets us, and if we get him, we get him in two ways, the way I just mentioned, which is kind of intimidating, and you, and tempts most, just Jesus, get, Jesus, please, 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 please get this Jesus stuff off the air, I don't want to hear about it, I don't want to think about it, please, please, please get out of the region. But the flip side is, well, what's he doing here? Did he come across the sea there to kill the hogs or to heal the man? Oh, clearly to heal the man. It's a rescue mission. Hogs are very much the sidelight. What did he come into the world for? Well, that's where we go for the Lord's table to solve the problem of we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, but fear not. For Christ has taken on the judgment of God himself in the place of any and all who come to place their faith and trust in him. That's the good news. That's the gospel message. But just as we go to the table this, this morning, where do you sit with that? Is Jesus good? When you think of Jesus, is it good news? Or is it annoying news? Is it just the best of news? Or is it a grating... I hate all this talk of somebody... Judgment seat. I hate all that judgment seat talk. Well, you can hate it all you want. Paul warns, it's a divine necessity. It is divinely necessary that everybody who's ever lived on earth, like it or not, believe it or not, know it or not, kick against it or not, will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Only one way, only one way it becomes good news. If you know him and your sins are forgiven... He gets us. He gets our sin. And the Father gets what the Son has done in our behalf. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that where you are? If that's where you are, then the table that we're about to go to is, is your table. If that's not where you are, and the table is, is not your table. Let me remind you how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after the supper, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he goes on and says, and let a person examine themselves. Examine themselves for what? Well, who am I? Am I this person who has turned from my sin and embraced the cross and set my hope in Jesus Christ as the one and only hope of my spiritual survival, given that God gets me. If you get yourself at all and you hear he gets you, that'll terrify you unless you have a solution to this. If you get yourself at all, like, Ugh. An absolutely holy person gets me. Unless you also get the part where he has taken care of the problem himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and sending him into the world. And that's what we celebrate together at the table. That we are those who through faith in Jesus Christ have nothing to fear from the judgment seat of Christ. Have nothing to fear from a holy God. Have nothing to fear from all of our sins. Have nothing to fear from God's ruling presence in the world. In fact, everything to rejoice in because He is, we're his and he's ours. I ask the men to Serving communion this morning to come. Let me read in again as far as the bread. For I received from the Lord that which I have given to you. That the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And having given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is in behalf of you, which is broken in behalf of you. There's the hope. There's the hope for sinners like us. He gets us. Oh, yes, but he's he's saved us. He's redeemed us. He sent his son to die for us. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, what great news, good news, true news, big news, the cross of Jesus Christ. Ask the men to stand and ask the Lord's blessing upon the bread. Our Father in heaven, We thank you that you did not spare your own son but delivered him up for us all and told us how will you not with him freely give us all things, forgiveness, life, resurrection, new heavens and a new earth, companionship all the days of our life. Assurance that all things work together for good to those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. What great news that you did not spare your own son, but delivered him up for us all, his body broken for us. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you in his name. Amen.